Hi, and welcome to the Unashamedly Human Podcast, a podcast created to help you get out of your head and into your life. That is, if you want to have more fun, freedom, happiness, peace of mind, and success whilst squeezing the juice out of every area of your life. Join Jackie Ford every Thursday and listen in to her warm Scottish tones, wise heart and wonderful sense of humour as she interviews guests and discusses what it means to be unashamedly human. Hi everyone and welcome to the Unashamedly Human podcast. Today sitting across from me I have best-selling author, international speaker and founder of Supercoach Academy, Michael Neal. Michael Neal is now training transformational coaches in Europe and the USA. Hi, Michael. Welcome to the Unashamedly Human podcast. Hi. Nice. nice to see you. I'm going to have an unashamed glass of water here. I'm just pouring. Quite right. And we were talking a minute ago and I was saying to Michael, you know, sort of this podcast is kind of like, you know, we're both sitting in the same room, either having a a little glass of whiskey each or a cup of tea and he gave me into trouble because he said if I'd given him more notice he would probably would have brought down a, a nice wee a wee whiskey to join me. I've got, a, I've got a range of scotches to sample I mean you know. You do what's your favourite? Well I get, this makes me very unpopular in Scotland but my favourite is actually Johnny Walker Black. I, I, oh my I, goodness. Um, I really do I really do love it it was it was my it was my first post-bourbon whiskey. Mm. My dad was a bourbon drinker, so I grew up with that. But um, the problem with the, the, the my 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 probably two favorites at the moment. There's a Macallan. Yes, it's like a 17 year that that uh, I was I was gifted by a client that I liked. Much I went out and gifted myself a bottle, and um, and then the other one. Oh, it's like Ballybagrigan. <laughs> Um, you, you know, something like that. It's really nice. Yeah. Is the, is the Macallan um, one of the ones that was matured in an oak casket? Because yes. they matured some of them in oak caskets and you did some of them in sherry caskets. Ah, uh, no, this is oak. Yeah, well, I, I know I, I do I do like it. My, my father used to work for a whiskey distiller, so we used to get incredibly inexpensive um whiskey and gin which was i i actually the closest i've been to being in a fight like a fist fight for the last decade was in a pub in glasgow when i ordered my whiskey on the rocks oh and they just that was not cool apparently that mm. was you know i i did i feared for my life a little bit well not for my life just for my chin I think I think my life would have been fine. Yeah, your face might not have been so pretty afterwards. <laughs> Knowing Glasgow. <laughs> it's okay because I had something to numb it. We would have been fine. Oh, you're sorted. <laughs> Michael, if you were to sort of, you know, I've said that the title of this podcast is Unashamedly Human. I know that you've been on a bit of a journey in your life um, with, you know, sort of depression and you know, all the things that you've done to get you to this point in life. If there was one thing, Michael, that makes you unashamedly human now, what would it be? Gosh, I, I suppose it would be having spent so many years shamedly human and, <laughs> and realizing that unashamedly is so much nicer. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, if, if one of the choices was getting out of being human free, Mm -hmm. like, like if I could play that card there was a time actually where I would have played it 
But I, I had an experience when I was a, a young spiritual seeker. I meditated a lot. I was part of this official group, the Midnight Club, who were, we were all going to get enlightened in this lifetime. And <laughs> so I was, you know, I was meditating for Scotland. I was like, you know, I was, I was, I was all in. Thank um, you. I appreciate that. No, I, no, no, no. I just, I needed sponsorship <laughs> really was the problem. But you guys have the best whiskey. There's really nothing else for it. But I had a moment where it really felt as though all the boundaries were dissolving. It was, it was, it felt as though I could let go of one last thought of me yeah. and whatever was beyond that would be all that was left. And it was one of only two times in my life I heard a voice in my head and the voice said, you did not come here to leave. Mm. And that had a profound effect on me. Because I realized in retrospect that that is what I had been doing. I'd been trying to get out of being mm-hmm. human. And, and after that, I just kind of gave up on that. I just thought, okay, that makes sense to me. Like, I don't understand how it all works. I don't pretend to know why we're here or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But it made sense that I wouldn't have come here to leave. Mm-hmm. And, and so I've sort of embraced being human and all that comes with it um, from that point forward. And it's, 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 it really is much nicer. Yeah. It's way more relaxed, isn't it? Instead of sort of fighting against what is, it's just sort of settling into, (laughs) here I am, this is what's going on and life is good. Has it made a huge difference to you as a father? Do you know, it's difficult to know because it happened around the time I became a father. So mm-hmm. I don't know what I would have been like as a father had I not had that, uh, you know, if it would have been any different. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think in my life and fathering, um, uh, I, I, I often say husbanding and fathering, and then somebody pointed out that husbanding also was something to do with farming. So I don't really know the linguistics <laughs> of that, but, but, but not farming, uh, you, you know, and, and so I think one of the biggest surprises in my life was I, I did not want to be a father. I, I had reconciled myself that at some point I would have to be because when my wife married me, she told me our firstborn would be named Oliver. So I sort of figured that implied yeah. that at some point we would have a firstborn. But, but it happened much quicker than I was ready for. Mm-hmm. And, and I really did think, okay, well, this is it. I'm going to have to quit. Um, you know, I was, I was a, an actor at the time. I actually was in my first West End show with French and Saunders for you mm-hmm. know, those cares who, who know those names. And so it was like my big break. And that was the week my, my wife came to tell me was pregnant and I, I had, and this is how crazy humans are. I instantly went, well, that's it. I'm going to have to give up and become a plumber. Now <laughs> I for years wondered like, why that? Cause I've, I have very little plumbing in me, but, but I realized it, it has to be, I grew up next door to a family with 14 kids. And yeah. So in my head, that must've been, you know, mm-hmm. that's what people, kids do. They plumb. But, but I, I sort of, I had nine months to reconcile myself to the impending horror of mm. having to give up my life to become a dad. And then I held my son 
um, Nina was uh, having a reaction to the medicine, so they handed him to me right out of the out, out of the womb, and and I fell in love, and I just it was honest to God. I had been watching all the movies of what it's like to have a kid and all the sleepless nights and all the, um, all the who and all the things with having it and not being able to work and needing more money to work. And it, but I'd been watching it with this soundtrack of horror, like a horror film soundtrack without knowing it. And suddenly the soundtrack was like a romantic comedy. Yeah. Like I looked into his eyes and I was like, oh, well this whole movie with that soundtrack is much nicer. And what was funny is my wife had made up a different movie without the vomit and the poo and the sleep. And, all that. <laughs> and so she was actually, she found it much harder than I did mm-hmm. because I had thought it was going to be a nightmare. <laughs> like, but I didn't know that you can have nightmare circumstances with joyous thinking mm-hmm. and the circumstances are no longer a nightmare. And, and that was, without knowing that was what was happening, again, it was another profound moment of, oh, just because I think things are going to be a certain way doesn't mean they are. Yeah. And, and that's kind of been the basis of a lot of my work in the world since then. Yeah. And that must have had an impact because you had another two. Well, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> yeah, once, uh, it turns out I like them. I mean, you know, yeah. you know, who knew? And, and weirdly, and this is funny too, they like me. Mm. Like I didn't, I just assumed that, I don't know which movies or TV shows I watched growing up, but all kids rebelled violently against parents and it was always a struggle. And it's like, I'm not saying we didn't have our moments. One of our mm. daughters put holes in the wall, but I never experienced animosity. Yeah. Right. There was never any animosity. There, there has never been any animosity between us. Even when we were grounding them for a month once, they kind of agreed with us. Like they'd really messed up. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's been interesting that I, I didn't know I'd made that up too. Yeah. Like That's, it's really fun. I've learned I, I make things up and then I reconcile myself to them. Well, it's going to be awful, but it'll be okay. You know, well, I'm going to lose everything, but it'll be okay. Well, my wife's going to leave me, but it'll be okay. Well, no one will ever read one of my books again, but it'll be okay. And I think because I'm so quick to make it okay, I often miss that I made up the thing that I'm making okay. Yeah. So that, that sort of reconciliation, years ago before you came across the understanding of the principles, Michael, was that something that was kind of like a state that, that you would sort of force on yourself that said, it'll be, it'll be okay. Whereas now- I think I did, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I now think I know. trained myself to, mm-hmm. to reframe everything into the positive. Yeah. Right? And, and, and I was good at it, right? Mm-hmm. I, but but it, it was quite funny because I, I actually caught myself I'm trying to see if I remember what it was, but I was driving somewhere and I was because something was happening that I knew was going to be disastrous. Right. And I watched myself reconcile it in the car as I was driving. Like I could see myself making it okay. Mm-hmm. And that was probably the first time I caught it as I was doing it. Yeah. And I went, huh. I don't know that this is going to happen. Why am I taking all this energy to cope with it? Mm-hmm. as if it already has and of course it didn't happen it almost never does um and that was much nicer mm-hmm. 
like to just see, wow, I've got this crazy thought generator in my head. And if I know what it's doing, it's kind of fun. But if I don't know that that's what I'm reacting to, if I think I'm reacting to real life, it's kind of scary. Yeah. Um, and, and being able to cope with your crazy is not the same as being sane. No, I know. <laughs> Trust me, I know. <laughs> Ooh, there are a few stories, I think, towards the bottom of the bottle of whiskey. <laughs> I don't even think it takes me to the bottom of the bottle of whiskey anymore. <laughs> I, I'm the woman who, you know, sort of told a, a, a politician who, you know, I was talking to her about this understanding and she was kind of getting it, kind of not getting it. And I started telling her this story and I thought, you know, I never thought I'd tell anyone this. We used to have two little dogs and I used to take them for a walk every morning. And, you know, dogs do their business first thing in the morning and I'd be out for about an hour walking back with my little dog poo bag. And every morning I'd pass a red post box, Michael. For five years, every day, that crazy thought came in, post the poo, (laughs) post the poo. (laughs) My husband was horrified. He said, that's illegal, Jackie. You're not allowed to do that. Yeah, well, I would only be horrified if you did post the poo. But, but here's the thing. I would you post the poo too. Like, you know, would, would you address it to somebody? Would it be like, you know, the right honorable? And, you know, would they get the poo? Or would you just literally put the poo through the slot? In the I post? think I was just going to literally put the poo through the slot. Oh, okay. But okay. Now, you, now you've mentioned the alternative. I can't see that that might not be what we do next time. Well, you know, I like, to, I like to kind of boost my clients' creativity. I like them to open up to new possibilities. I mean, normally more benign and wonderful ones. But I mean, you know, why yeah, not? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's no harm. No harm at all. Yeah. No. Again. And hey, hey, no charge. You can just have that idea. Oh, thank you. You're so yeah. sweet. And yeah. people, please recognize Michael's generosity. He is just yeah, so full of heart. <laughs> Wait a minute, I'll let you know if I get a check in the post or a, a, a bill. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah, if you get a lumpy check, you don't want to open that one. <laughs> Certainly not. No, not without gloves on. <laughs> so, you have just been so creative this last year, two years, Michael, sort of watching what you've been doing and, and what's been coming forth. And it's been great to see all various types of online courses at various price points. And recently you've started the Super Coach Academy in Europe as well as the USA. So you are a creative soul, I know that. But what happened? What happened that all of a sudden you were just sort of, right, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this? Do you know, there were a couple of things that happened. One was I stopped trying to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that may sound counterintuitive, but for me, being there was a right way to build a successful business. I'd mm-hmm. read many books about it, and I was doing it, and I was part of a CEO group to support me in it, and I had assembled a team to, to, to support me in doing it. And we got to a point a couple of years ago, everything was lined up. Like we had a business model, it was, we, we had investment, it was, it, we were ready to push the button. And the whole meeting, everyone is celebrating and my heart is sinking. Yeah. And I, I, I knew enough to wait till the morning to not make any decisions in the moment. And I woke up the next morning and I just knew and I called everyone 
involved. And I said, I'm very sorry, we're not doing it. And a couple of people quit and, um, you know, the whole thing fell apart and we actually almost went bankrupt. But in that moment, I just thought, you know what, I'm going to do what I really want to do. And if it works, great. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't work, I'll go down doing what I love doing, which mm-hmm. is creating. And, and, and so that was huge. And that was really the turning point. You know, that, that was when it all changed. The second thing that I think gave me another boost is when I, when I saw that an incredible taken up with social media and trying to build community and do all these things that you're supposed to do to build mm-hmm. a platform and do. And I realized it's just not a modality that I think lends itself to transformation. Mm-hmm. I think it's a modality that lends itself to admiring each other's puppies, which I love it for. Like I am on Facebook clicking heart for pretty much any puppy pick, right? Mm-hmm. I'm in. But beyond that, and, and the phrase that came to mind was, oh, I'm a creator, not an engager. Oh. Now that doesn't mean I won't engage with whoever's in front of me. I really enjoy people. Mm-hmm. I love people. But, but that kind of social media engagement, I just realized wasn't for me. And that freed up so much headspace. I don't know how much time it freed up because it's not like I think I spent hours, but headspace, it freed mm-hmm. up months worth of headspace. Because now I was no longer trying to create a community. I was just creating things I think are cool and help people and mm-hmm. putting them out. If people want them, they can have them. And if they don't want them, they don't have to. And we're all good. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, has been a, a huge part of it. It's sort of, I don't know if you've ever read Cal Newport's Deep Work. No, I haven't. So it's a, it was a very popular book in the States last year or the year before. And he's a professor and he basically had done all this research into how most worthwhile projects of lasting impact happened when somebody cut themselves off from life mm-hmm. in some way. And I've never been good at that. Like I... I hear about people who go away to write their books. And I mean, I've worked on over a dozen books and I've never had more than two days away Mm -hmm. in all that time. I've always done the day job while writing. But actually, I started doing deep work when A, I stopped trying to have a successful business and B, trying to create an engaged community. Now, as it happens, what was interesting is I noticed I have a really engaged community, but they engage with each other because they really enjoy what we do. Mm-hmm. They don't need me to come in and engage them with clever content and like all the stuff I used to do that which it just never sat with me. Mm-hmm. And so I, that would be, that, that's, I don't know if that's a longer answer than you expect, but that would be, those were the kind of two things that really have changed the way I do what I do. And that's why you see so much more coming out of me. Yeah, I mean, I totally get that. that I think so many coaches in particular, mm-hmm. it's what they think they should be doing rather than what they should be yeah. doing. If you know what I mean. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And it's, it's, it's a very normal thing. It's a very human thing mm-hmm. to some. And look, about some things, I'm sure they do, right? Mm -hmm. Like there are some things that have right answers, right? Like if I want to change my carburetor, 
there's somebody out there who can tell me how to do it. And they probably have done a YouTube tutorial video, right? Mm -hmm. But if I want to know how to express the divine through my life, there's not a YouTube tutorial for that. Or, or probably there is, but it would be a terrible thing to try and do what it says. Because mm -hmm. that's not how this intelligence inside us communicates. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it was just sort of seeing, you know what, I would rather, I really would, I'd rather go down with the ship following that mm -hmm. than keep a ship afloat trying to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. And do you have a preference, Michael, then, for, because of your Supercoach Academies now in Europe and, and also in, in the States, do you have that preference for being in the room with people versus doing things online? I have a preference for variety. Mm -hmm. um, I love being in the room with people. And so I will always do things that put me in the room with people. There's no substitute for that. And at some point, it became really obvious to me that I, if I need to be in the room with people to, um, you know, put food on the table and, and, and gas in the car and, 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 and all that, when, I'm, when, I'm, when I get into my, my 60s and 70s, that doesn't sound like a, a, a great plan to me. Mm -hmm. So I kind of really like the option of if one day I wake up and I never want to talk to anyone ever again, which seems really unlikely. I can't ever imagine that, no. actually. <laughs> no. I'd, I, I'd, like, I'd like it to be a choice, mm -hmm. right? Or even if I just don't want to talk about this anymore, yeah. right? Like maybe, maybe I'll still want to be with people, but I want to talk about, you know, mystery novels. Yeah. Right. You know, or, or, or maybe go back to, I mean, I haven't acted in 13, 14 years, but maybe one day I'll want to go back to that. I don't know. But, mm -hmm. but so that th there's an element of, of that, like I, I I've always been kind of moved by the idea of the last lecture series, mm -hmm. um, you know, which is this idea if, if you were giving your, if this was going to be your last lecture, mm -hmm. what would you say? And I kind of treat most of my life that way. Like if this was going to be the last chance for me to share what I've seen about success, if this was going to be my last chance to share what I've seen about creativity, if this was going to be my last chance to share what I've seen about parenting or, 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 or husbanding or adulting, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I want to take that chance and, and, and I want to, I want to share that as best I can. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, look, hopefully that last chance isn't going to come for, for another 20, 30, 40 years. But if it came tomorrow, mm -hmm. I really couldn't have any regrets. You know, I've, I've said my piece as best I can. And I'm sure if we have this conversation again in 10 years, I'll have said my piece a yeah. hundred more times, but differently. Yeah. Yeah. Something I found, Michael, with living from this space of understanding as, as best I can how life works is the, the incredible depth that my friendships now have. I always thought I had good friends, 
But now there just seems to be this extra depth of love and well-being and fondness. You know, people that I don't talk to them about this understanding, we're just in life. And I love that. Do you find that with your friends as well? Well, I, I, it's funny. I find that with, with most people. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I always felt that with my friends because I only ever had a couple. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I've always had a couple of really good friends, you know, my wife being one of them. Like, you know, the, the, and that's it. Like, I just didn't have space in my life or inclination mm-hmm. to have a bunch more. What, at one point, my wife said to me, I, I was being very judgmental about someone. And she said, you should have everyone in the world as your client. And I was like, why? And she said, because your clients could murder people and you would find a way of, of seeing their humanity and, 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 and explaining to me why it's okay and why at deep down they're, they're, they're still beautiful expressions mm-hmm. of... She said, but you're judgmental about other people. And, and, and I kind of, it kind of registered on me and I just thought, oh, what's interesting? What's different? And I, I concluded nothing was. I concluded it was arbitrary that I just saw the best in my clients and did, judged the hell out of everybody else. And so I just decided to stop judging everybody. And, you know, on the whole, people just don't bug me. I just mm. think they're all kind of cool and interesting. And there are some that I want to spend more time with than others. Yeah. But yeah. it's very rare that somebody gets up my nose anymore. Mm. Until they do. Well, until they do. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, but that, even that looks to me like, oh, okay. You know, I'm still human. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Check in. All right. My husband, Jerry, always says to me, I tend to get judgmental when I'm tired. Mm. So, you know, when I'm tired and he'll go to me, time for bed, dear. <laughs> I just think years ago, I would have slapped him. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas now it's kind of like, yeah, you see me, you see where I am. You know, I'm... I'm going sideways. Yeah. No, it's, it's, there's a big difference between trying to be nice as a personal development yeah. project and just realizing it's nicer to not run around with a head full of judgment. I mean, I'll tell you one of the moments where I really got it is um, was going to the, the theater and had some trouble parking. Like we were in a big parking structure and there were no spots and we finally found one and I'm walking down and I saw this guy had double parked, like parked across two spots and I was livid. Like I started swearing at, at, at his car and as I'm doing it, I'm thinking, wow, a, this guy's not even here. Mm-hmm. B what's it to do with me? And, and, and I just went, wow, I'm doing this all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm judging everybody's freaking right to exist. And it, it just stopped seeming like a worthy endeavor. So look, I can have a, a, a what do we used to call them? A BMW, a, a bitch moan and wine session. I, I, I can, you know, I can still do that with the best of them. But, but on the whole, it just doesn't seem worthwhile to get myself riled up about things as much as it used to. Yeah. Yeah, I totally get that. It's like even the other day, I was parked and I was on, I was talking to a friend on the phone and the guy beside me, I, I felt a bash in the car, but I didn't really take notice of it because I was so involved in my conversation. 
And I got out the car when I got to my destination and there was a huge dent in my car, Michael. And I just couldn't stop laughing. (laughs) Look at that. You know, and and my daughter's like, why are you not bothered about that? I went, well... And you know, it's funny, Nina and I, my wife and I had a conversation about this years ago now, and she kind of was upset with me that I wasn't more about something. And, mm-hmm. and that, that, was a, 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 that was a pattern. That was something that came up a lot in our relationship over the years. And, and I think when I was younger, what she was picking up on is I was pissed off about things and I was kind of trying not to be. Yeah. But at some point that became real. Like it's, it was no longer something I learned to do. It just, mm-hmm. a lot of things that upset other people don't seem to upset me. And I, I'd never been able to explain it to her in a way that, that she could hear. And that day, I remember we were sitting in, in, in our driveway and, and chatting at the end of a date night. And, and I, I just said, look, if I'm upset, I'll be upset. I have no problem with being upset anymore. I used to, but I, I really don't. But I don't do well when I'm upset. I, I don't do well when I'm stressed and harried and angry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm not going to do it to myself. If I can't help, help it, I can't help it. Mm-hmm. But, but I'm never going to do it deliberately because it makes me a better person. And she actually really heard that, and that stopped being an issue from, cool. from, from then on. And so, yeah, if I'm, um, you know, if I'm upset, I'm upset. And, and people know about it. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, but if I'm not, I, I don't think I should be. No, I know. I know. And what I love about what you're saying and what you've been speaking about is it's this opportunity to see our old programs and our old stories playing out, but we're not emotionally connected to them. We just see the process. I, I was talking to somebody about this recently I who had um, uh, suffered from panic attacks to the point where um, he he wasn't going to get married because he didn't want to have a panic attack during the wedding. Mm. Right. Like it was, it was that (laughs) full a scenario. And I just shared with him like two of my favorite panic attacks. And, and, and the first one I had just doing a talk, um, you know, dealing with anxiety. And I went out to dinner with some friends. It was one of my friend's birthdays. And I, could feel this full on panic attack happening in the restaurant. My hands started swelling up. You know, I, I felt short of air. I was turning red and I just excused myself and went outside. And as my body is swelling up and my heart is thumping out of my chest, I am in hysterics of laughter. Mm. Like I, I, I think if somebody had walked by on the street, they just would have assumed I was insane mm. because I just thought it was funny as hell that I could give a talk about anxiety in the day and then have a full blown panic attack at night. <laughs> And it, after about five minutes, it settled down and I went back in and had dessert, a glass of wine. And, you, you know, it was, it, but it was, it was just one of those things. Mm-hmm. I had another one. And I mean, I, you know, these are the last two I've had in the last five, 10 years probably. But I had another one a couple of years ago, driving back from the gym. Mm-hmm. And to this day, I have no idea what was going on, but I could feel myself again, body losing it car over i called me and said is everything okay and i said yeah i'm having a panic attack i just can you just be on the phone with me until until it settles we had a we had a chat she mostly heard because i couldn't breathe and and you know and it was very pleasant and then it settled Mm -hmm. down and i drove home like what i saw what i saw somewhere along the line is look this shit happens yeah right it's part of the human condition 
doesn't mean there's something fundamentally wrong. It doesn't mean that I'm fundamentally broken. It doesn't mean everything I teach is, is garbage. Mm-hmm. It's just part of the human condition. And I think my, my, you know, when I was thinking about the title of your podcast, I think one of my favorite chapters I've ever written in any of my books was a chapter in the space within called being human. Mm-hmm. And, and it was just an expression of how wonderful it is to just be allowed to be human. And there was one line in that chapter that has always stuck. And it was, there's no such thing as a solution to a feeling, mm-hmm. right? We do so much in our lives to try and solve or prevent our feelings. Feelings are just feelings, right? When we think we feel, it's mm-hmm. part of the human condition, right? No big deal. Nobody Not did. a problem. Until you try and fix it, until you try and solve it. And then you create a world of problems because you're trying to manipulate the world to change how you feel. And it just doesn't work that way. No, not at all. Not at all. And I'm sure there's many people listening going, shit. (laughs) Is that so? Michael, I think this is a really opportune time to talk about a book that you wrote 10 years ago called Super Coach. And I think you wrote that book just at the time where you had just come across this understanding known as the three principles and you were articulating that within that book. But now there's a revised edition which was launched today, the 20th of November. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, when I wrote Supercoach, I thought I was giving a gift to the world. Like, in other words, I really, this thing, I'd come across this understanding, it totally changed my life. And I, and somehow nobody in the world knew about it. Like I'd been in the self-help world for over 20 years and I'd never come across it. And I was like, okay, here everybody. And, and I was kind of a little taken aback that people within the, 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 the community, in the sort of principles-based community weren't, didn't embrace the book at all. Mm. And I was like, well, and I made up something, right? Well, by the time I wrote The Inside Out Revolution, which has sort of become the, the bestseller of all the bestsellers, I went back and looked at Supercoach and was horrified. Mm. Like it was such a hodgepodge. And there was some stuff, truth in it, mm-hmm. but it was buried under a pile of old school personal development self-help crap. And, and so I, I kind of stopped talking about the book and and... And I would I would rewrite little sections of it that I thought had promise and mm-hmm. give to clients because they were good illustrations of the kind of things clients deal with around money and decisions mm-hmm. and, and relationships and moods and all that. And and I got more and more embarrassed that the book kept selling. Like people kept finding <laughs> that book. And 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 I just I finally sat down with my agent and I said, look, do you think we can buy back the rights so I can just take it off the market and rewrite it? Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, I don't think you have to do that. I bet, I bet Hay House will republish it if you want to. And they did. And so I, I took about a year to rewrite it completely. Um, and I say completely. I, I wanted to keep the structure because it was uh, – mm. I liked the, the structure. It was it, essentially like being coached by me chapter in the book is a coaching session. We cover foundational things and we cover elements. And so I, I didn't want to get rid of that. I just wanted to have another go 
at articulating what had made such a difference in my own life. And, and, and I'm really pleased with it. And at this point, while we're talking, it's probably only 30 or 40 people that have read it other than anyone who maybe downloaded it this morning and is like, <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you know, but, but so far what they've seen is what I saw, mm-hmm. which is, Oh God, this is so simple. This is so practical. This is so obvious mm-hmm. in a way. Um, yet it wasn't obvious at all before you see it. Yeah. And, and so for me, I'm, I'm thrilled that I can, I can now admit I wrote it again. <laughs> you know, instead of, oh yeah, super crush. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, it, but it's true, isn't it? I mean, I love that you shared that story, but it's so true that you saw truth as you saw it 10 years ago. Now you're writing truth as you see it now. And I look forward to the next one in 10 years when, when you see it again. Yeah. Yeah, well, and, and that's the thing. It, it, it's, when I look back at my, you know, Richard Bandler was one of my mentors from the yeah. NLP world. And he used to say, there are people all over the world stuck at various stages of my personal development. Yes. You know, he'd written books since the 70s and, you know, he's still writing them in the 2000s and he, what he's seen has changed. Mm-hmm. And, and I think on the one hand, I kind of love that that's true. And, and they've just gone, well, look, that was, I've never put anything out that wasn't exactly what I saw when I put it out. Mm-hmm. But by the same token, I look back on the things I've written since 2013. So uh, Inside Out Revolution, The Space Within, Creating the Impossible, books that were kind of designed as a trilogy to introduce this understanding. And there's nothing I would change now. Um, you know, so that's cool too. That is very cool. Yeah. Michael, thank you so much for being a guest on Unashamedly Human podcast. As always, you've just shown up completely shameless, um, which I always enjoy with your company. And um, I look forward to sharing a whiskey with you at some point in the near future. (laughs) Excellent. A a, a fine plan. Now, lovely to see you. (laughs) You too, Michael. Take care. Bye. Bye. You could be larger than life, bigger than the world, living out the hopes and dreams of every boy and every girl. You could fly higher than the sky, shine brighter than the stars. You can have all you ever wanted. Cool.